Welcome to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. This gardening show will equip and inspire avid gardeners with weekly tips and tricks to help them navigate the gardening world. The show will also highlight specific growing requirements for several plants so the sun will shine brighter over their Kentucky garden. And now, here is that ray of sunshine, garden enthusiast and horticulture extension agent, Kristen Hildebrand, with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Our gardens are finally slowing down for the season. One thing you may ask yourself is, should I consider selling a cover crop for my Kentucky garden? Next, your mind starts to wonder about what type of cover crop is best and really what is the best way to sow a cover crop. To find out more information specifically on cover crops for Kentucky, I contacted our UK Extension Vegetable Specialist, Dr. Rachel Rudolph, to see what recommendations she had for cultivating cover crops. After talking with her, I discovered selecting a cover crop comes down to what you're hoping to accomplish for your garden plot. So to find out more about this interview and what you need to know about cover crops, make sure to to stay right here on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Yay, we're so excited to have with us on the Sunshine Gardening Podcast is Dr. Rachel Rudolph. She is the University of Kentucky Extension Vegetable Specialist, and we're so glad to be having her this morning. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'll be glad once we get through some of this uncertain times, but we're trying to make the best of it. Yes, and we can maybe see each other in person next time. Yes, and I know you were telling me that you've still been fairly busy since we've been through the pandemic. Yes, I consider myself fortunate in that I have still pretty much continued on with work. We still have plenty of research going, lots of projects. Agriculture is a necessary thing in all of this, and so we're pretty lucky that we get to keep doing research and carrying on. Oh my gosh, yes. And that's something good to be positive about, especially during the pandemic. And it's like you said, all this research that you guys have been doing, as far as the specialists go, we pass down through the communities that we work in. So it is very nice that we have that opportunity. We're really glad to have you. And one of the reasons that I asked you to kind of come on the podcast is to talk to us a little bit more about cover crops. And I know that gardeners, you know, are kind of slowing down for the gardening season. They may have still some like cool season vegetables in their garden, but there's always things that they can do, especially right now, even into the future fall months, even into wintertime that can actually protect their gardens and that's through cover crops. So why would gardeners want to consider sowing cover crops for their gardens? Can you kind of give us some benefits or advantages with those? Yeah, there are a whole host of potential benefits from cover cropping. I say potential because, you know, you got to do it right and it's not guaranteed, but these are proven through research, these specific benefits. So increased soil organic matter, weed suppression, that's a big one for cover crops, soil structure improvement. So maybe you've got some compacted soils or some soils that have just really lost their tilth. Cover crops can help with that. Pest and pathogen suppression. So if you've got a disease issue in your garden, planting a non-host cover crop, that can help. Beneficial soil microorganism promotion. So just healthier soil, roots working their way through the soil, 
and making sure to rotate cover crops really help with that too. Improve nutrient cycling and management. So what I mean by that is reduce fertilizer use. So certain cover crops can promote that. They can also take up excess nutrients. So maybe a grower or a gardener overapplied at some point during the year, the last few years, and they're kind of starting to notice, let's say, some nutrient disorders or some issues with their regular crop, right? Their tomatoes or their peppers or something like that. Cover crops can help take up some excess that might be causing some problems. Increase water infiltration. So I don't know what we're at with rain this year, to be honest, but I think in what, 2018, we got 70 inches of rain or something like that. So all that rain, I mean, sometimes if your soil's not held down by something, your soil's going to go somewhere. It's going to leave. So to have some things holding onto your soil and keeping it in place when you're not gardening, that could be a real benefit to some people, especially if you're on a hill or near a river, you know, that could be an issue. Reduce soil erosion. So that kind of goes hand in hand with the water infiltration. And then also something that occurred to me today that often doesn't get listed is some cover crops can help attract pollinators. So maybe you just like to watch the pretty pollinators out in your garden and provide a habitat for them. That's something that some of them do. So that could be a consideration. That's right. Probably one of the biggest things that you said there that I feel like would be most beneficial is the soil structure, you know, beefing up the soil structure. Because, you know, here in Kentucky, we have those clay, alkaline soils, and they can really help out if you're using Mm -hmm. a cover crop. So those are all good benefits. Dr. Rudolph, why don't you talk to us next about which cover crops are going to perform best for our Kentucky gardens here? What I like to tell people is that no one cover crop is going to do that whole list of potential benefits. No one cover crop can check all those boxes. So it really is up to the gardener to ask themselves, why do I want a cover crop? What am I trying to accomplish here? And so once you've answered that question, then it gets much easier to recommend a cover crop or to implement a cover crop. I'll give you an example. Let's say you want a cover crop for weed suppression. And it's a little bit more complicated than just that, but that's the first thing you need to answer, right? Is why are we even talking about cover crops? So then say, okay, what time of year do I want to implement this, right? I need weed suppression. When do I want to try to deal with my weed suppression? So let's say you want cover crops during winter and summer. You want them during both winter and summer. Let's say you're more of a spring, fall kind of gardener. You like the cool season vegetables. So let's say what zone are you in? Make sure you know your zone. So up here in central Kentucky, we're in zone seven. Keep that in mind. Just for cold hardiness purposes, that'd be something good to know. And then what kind of soil do you have? Thinking about that. Is it really hard clay? Is it a silty loam? What do you have going on there? And then you can think about also what kind of crops are normally going in your garden. So what's going to follow this cover crop? You know, is the cover crop a placeholder? Is a tomato going to follow this? Or, you know, what's happening after these cover crops come out? And when? That's also important. What's my timeline here? So once you answer all those questions, then you can really get into the nitty gritty of what kind of cover crop you need slash want. Okay, so you want weed suppression. So that means you want something that grows fast because you want us to close canopy pretty quickly, right? Before the weeds grow, you're going to prepare this seed bed 
you're going to sow this cover crop and then you want something that closes canopy really quickly, faster than the wheat. So that would be something that you would be looking for. If you want a winter cover crop, that means you're going to probably seed the cover crop in the fall, like now, over winter, most likely. And then you'll probably terminate that cover crop in the spring. So keeping that in mind is really important for the timeline. If you want a summer cover crop, right, you'd seed the cover crop probably in the early, late spring, early summer. That means you'd want something that's heat tolerant and possibly drought tolerant, right? You may not be irrigating this cover crop very much. That would also help you decide on things. So for a cool season cover crop that would overwinter and would be good with weed suppression, I would say something like a cereal rye, right? That produces a lot of biomass. And then we'll probably get into your next questions of how to deal with this cover crop, right? right. I'll just stick to my answers and then we'll address that next bullet point. So then for a warm season, weed competitive cover crop, weed suppressive cover crop, I'd say either a TEF, T-E-F-F, or a millet. We've had really good luck with both of those as far as fast growing, pretty competitive with weeds, and high biomass. I was going to say, those are all good things to really think about is like, what are you actually going for as far as weed suppression and kind of answered some of those questions. So I hadn't really thought about that. You know, you kind of do want one that catches all. Most people do. Certainly, for example, some of them will check multiple boxes, right? So for example, cereal rye, that's going to increase your organic matter. So when a plant produces a lot of above ground vegetative growth, right, then when you incorporate it, that material returns to the soil. And so that is how you get increased soil organic matter, certainly. So for example, cereal rye, I would say, would check multiple boxes. Increasing soil organic matter, weed suppression, soil structure improvement, probably beneficial soil microorganism promotion, and then reduce soil erosion, increase water infiltration. It's not going to attract pollinators probably going to improve nutrient cycling because it can take up a lot of excess nutrients. It's not a legume, so it's not going to help return anything to the soil as far as that goes, but it will take up a lot. And then when you incorporate it, of course, some of those nutrients will return to the soil, but they will be probably in a different form, not immediately available for the next crop to take up. So actually, you know, cereal ride checks a lot of those potential benefit boxes. You just made me a happy person by saying it checks most of the boxes. (laughs) (laughs) We want something that checks them all, right? None of them check all of them, but sometimes you can get pretty darn close. That's good. That's good to know. So I appreciate you giving me that information there. The next question I have is how should we best prepare before sowing these crops in the garden? What should we do as gardeners to get it ready? So I would say before getting started, before you even break ground, right? Each gardener needs to do their homework as far as the amount of biomass that a cover crop is likely to produce. And what I mean by that is that above ground growth. So like I said, with cereal rye, you know, it can get several feet tall. So are you equipped to literally equip? Do you have the equipment to deal with that and the the wherewithal to deal with that kind of vegetative growth? So you don't want the cover crop to become a nuisance or a pain for you. You want it to help you. You want it to work for you. But you just need to be prepared. Know what to expect, right? So knowing when the cover crop needs to be terminated. So this cereal rye will be at its best if it gets terminated probably late spring, 
So if you need to get in your garden before then, then that might not be the best option for you. So just knowing, again, doing your homework on what to expect from this cover crop, its limitations, your limitations, right? So everyone can be copacetic with each other and you're not hating this cover crop at the end. So do your homework on the cover crop, when it needs to be terminated, how much biomass it could produce. Do you have the equipment? So if all you have is a shovel and a rake, then maybe cereal rye is not for you. If you have a walk-behind tiller, if you have a mower, you know, something like that, then you can probably handle it just fine. A weed eater could probably handle it to a certain extent. It might be a little rough, but taking stock of the equipment you have and your timeline. So that would be the first thing I'd say. That would be your best preparation right there. And then as far as how to prepare for the physical action of seeding the cover crop, right? So most of this stuff, most of these cover crops can be seeded by broadcast. So what I would say is measure the acreage of your garden, right? Even if it's a quarter of an acre or less, take measurements of how big your garden is. What's the seeding rate of your cover crop, right? Do the math on that. So how much seed do I need to cover this ground? And then it might be a really small amount of cover crop. So that may be something that you can borrow from a friend, right? You don't need to buy a 20-pound bag of cover crop seed if you only need a pound, right? (laughs) So maybe you can borrow from a farmer friend. And then you prepare to broadcast. So if it's a really small amount of seed, you may want to mix it with something so that you have a little bit more in your hand each time you're throwing that seed out there. So sometimes we'll mix it with potting soil. Sometimes we'll mix it with sand, just so you're grabbing a handful of something and you get a little bit better coverage when you toss that, when you broadcast that seed. Um, So that's something to think about. Um, And then think about uh, preparing the soil, of course. So you want a nice, just like you would for a vegetable crop, you'd want a nice seed bed. So the soil should be Um, fairly soft on top, right? Um, You should be able to kind of rake lightly and the soil moves, right? Um, You don't want seriously compacted soil. You don't want it rocky. You don't want big chunks of soil where a seed's going to fall down between these two chunks and be, you know, lost forever and, you know, sunlight will never touch it, that kind of thing. So you want a smooth, um, I would say, Uh, light kind of soil on top. And something like cereal rye, if it's a little bit more compacted down below, cereal rye should still be able to handle it. Other cover crops, maybe not so much, but something like cereal rye would be okay. Um, But the the top part needs to be nice and flat, nice and smooth, and um, with some moisture, so not soaking wet, but kind of, you know, the soil test we, we talk about doing where you you grab a handful of soil and you kind of run it in your hands. And if you're squeezing out water there, then it's too wet. Right. But if you've got some nice moisture there and it's kind of crumbly, you've got probably the perfect moisture level. There you go. Do you have to fertilize uh, the cover crop to get it nice and established? Or is that something that's required a little bit later after you get it sown? We typically uh, do not um fertilize cover crops. Um, your, your cereal rye and your teff, and if, if you're using it as a cover crop and not as forage, 
right? Not as animal feed. And a lot of times people do not fertilize it. Um, sometimes if, if you're going for, you know, if you're going for high biomass and you're concerned that you're not going to get enough, then yes, sometimes people do put a little um, extra fertilizer on the, uh, you know, beforehand. That would be a broadcast, you know, application before seeding, pre-plant application. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know we get some questions about, do we need fertilizer or when do we put, apply that? So I'm glad you answered that question. Um, is there any other tips we need to know about when we're establishing a cover crop? Um, and are there things that we need to know about in the future? I think you alluded to some of it, but you might have some other um, information you want to give too. Well, let's see. I'd say, you know, um, your first time around, maybe it's not going to go as perfectly as you anticipated. And I would just try to tell people to um, not get discouraged. Um, you know, the first time we tried, so Tef is from Ethiopia. It's, it's a tiny, tiny seed. And we, the first time we seeded it, nothing happened. And um, so it's a drought tolerant seed, but it does need water to get going. And so I think it was probably a combination of not a high enough seeding rate and not enough water to get going. And so, you know, okay, we're, something's wrong. Let's reevaluate, right? Seed again. Let's see what happens. So I think, and then I just spoke to somebody the other day that worked with Tef. And again, it's a very small seed and they had tilled it in. So they had broadcast seeded it and then tilled it in. And it really does not need to be, I mean, it is just a surface, just a light raking over that seed because it is so small. You really should not incorporate it very deeply. And so they had teff, but then they also had a lot of weeds just because they didn't have that nice um, stand that they had anticipated, right? And so I would just tell people, don't get discouraged. It may not work out the first time, but kind of a, a value, take notes on what you did. Uh, talk, talk to one of us, talk to you, talk to me and kind of try to reassess what went wrong. Um, that, can, that can be um, really helpful. And then take stock of, so when you're choosing a cover crop, right? So certain cover crops can be hosts for pathogens and pests. So for example, um, root knot nematode, that's, that's an issue, especially down in Southern Kentucky. And so, and certainly some cover crops are hosts for this plant parasitic nematode. So you wouldn't want to, if you've got that issue or if you think you have that issue, um, you know, make sure you take stock and, and don't choose a cover crop that's going to make your problem worse, right? Um, let's see, what's another thing? So uh, just because a cover crop works for your neighbor or your cousin over in another part of the state doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be the right thing for you. Um, and let's see, like I said, no single, single cover crop will meet all possible needs and objectives. Um, but many of them will check several of those boxes. 
Yes, yes, I totally agree. Um, now, I know that we've covered quite a bit, and I know you mentioned that water is really crucial. It might even be good to kind of watch, especially depending on when you're sowing the cover crop for what you have, to look at the weather to see if, like, the yeah. rains are going to come, because that can help you out tremendously. Yeah. If you can time it with a rain event, oh my goodness, that is the best thing you can do because a lot of times, you know, most people don't irrigate their cover crops. So we, we do talk about, you know, uh, cover crops in high tunnels. And so of course those would need to be irrigated at least, especially to get going, but out in the field, you really shouldn't do, I mean, you shouldn't need to do that. So outside in a garden or a field, um, just if you can time seeding at seeding or right after seeding, that's your best bet. And if, it, if a cover crop has a good, is established well, if all that, the establishment process, the seeding process goes well, you set yourself up for success right off the bat. But if it doesn't, if you seed and it doesn't rain for two weeks, you're probably going to have a lot of weeds on your hands. <laughs> and... Um, you might be really disappointed with your cover crop there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true, true. Well, I know you've covered quite a bit and you've done a very good job covering everything about cover crops, but if somebody wanted to learn a little bit more about cover crops and the timing of that and the seeding rates and things of that nature, do you recommend any other good references or resource material that people could check out? Right. Yeah. I am absolutely not the only um, resource out there for sure. So two books that I absolutely love and I've had for quite a while are um, Managing Cover Crops Profitably. Um, it's from SARE. So S-A-R-E is the acronym. Um, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education is what that stands for. And so if you type in SARE Cover Crops, I bet these two books that I'm a, the, the first one I just said, and then Building Souls for Better Crops is the other one. Um, those are free to download. Those are PDF versions. You can also buy the, the actual book and it's like 20 bucks. So it's not, it's not too bad. But both of those, Managing Cover Crops Profitably and Building Souls for Better Crops, excellent cover crop books. So they are geared more towards, you know, commercial farmers, like larger scale, larger acreage, but the information about the cover crops is still the same and still very valuable, even for a gardener. So someone with a smaller, smaller scale setup. And then there's a small, um, I'll show you, Kristen, this Midwest cover crops. It's a little pocket guide. So it literally would fit in someone's back pocket. So it's, it's really cute. And it's pretty comprehensive. It has like almost every cover crop you could think of in here. Um, some of the information, right, it's a Midwest cover crop guide. So some of it is not exactly perfect for Southern Kentucky, but a lot of the information is. So I just happened to turn to cereal rye and it has kind of a, a chart here that tells us what the benefits are. Um, so it says, you know, it's a, it's a good nitrogen scavenger, right? It's a good soil builder. Um, it's a good topsoil loosener, good erosion preventer. It has lasting uh, residue. It's a good weed fighter. Um, so you can turn to different cover crops in this book and kind of look at this table. Each one has this table and 
oh, does this, you know, you can see, does this cover crop check those boxes that I was hoping it would, you know, this is the cover crop I'm thinking of, buckwheat, for example, right? Buckwheat checks a lot fewer boxes (laughs) than cereal rye does. So buckwheat's one of those I would say is a great, um, provides a great habitat for pollinators, right? It has these beautiful little flowers, um, but it's not a particularly good nitrogen scavenger. It's not a terribly great soil builder. Um, It's a pretty good weed fighter. Um, It doesn't have a lot of lasting residue. Um, You know, so just comparing those two, right, you can easily see what's what. And so I think that this little Midwest cover crops guide is really useful for that. And so we, this one, I think online, I think you have to buy this, but I have a lot of copies here. So if you have any, if you get any requests from people about this little book, I'm happy to send some your way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really glad that you gave us all those uh, pointers and talking points today on cover crops because I know cover crops really do uh, provide a lot of benefits for gardeners and some people might not have thought about that before. So we really appreciate you coming on uh, our Sunshine Gardening podcast and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in the future. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on things to consider when selecting and growing a cover crop for the Kentucky Garden. To view the show notes for episode 10 on cover crops for the Kentucky Garden, make sure to visit me on the blog at Warren County Agriculture. You can find me at warrencountyagriculture.com. And if you would like more information about growing cover crops for Kentucky Gardens, make sure to see your local Extension office in your area. We are located in all 120 counties here in Kentucky and we'd be glad to help you as well. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. As always, gardeners, make sure to keep on digging into gardening and remember to add a little sunshine. Thanks for listening to the Sunshine Gardening Podcast with Kristen Hildebrand. If you enjoyed today's content, make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to catch future segments of the Sunshine Gardening Podcast. Gardeners, keep on digging and learning more about gardening so the sun shines brighter over your Kentucky garden. The Sunshine Gardening Podcasts with Kristen Hildebrand is a production of the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service.